All right, guys, uh, welcome back to Celluloid Jelly, a podcast featuring a couple of X-Video store guys who just still love talking about movies. I am CJ Talbot, and joining me as always is my co-host... Caesar. What's up, guys? How are you? Caesar Alejandro Jr. from Filmsmash.com. How you doing, Cesar? I'm doing good, man. How about you? It's been a little while since we've had a chance to record, though, hasn't it? It has been, yes. I apologize. Uh, a couple things have... You know, just prevented that over the past couple of weeks, so yeah, we haven't so, recorded anything since the Avengers episode. Yeah, no big deal, but I guess that Avengers episode came out. Tell that to our rabid fans, <laughs> who just outright demand episodes every week, sir. Yeah, you, you should you should hear what I have to hear in person. I Well, you know, luckily I moved away from all of you. <laughs> That's okay, I'll deal with it. So, so all I have to worry about are texts and Facebook messages and tweets that I can ignore. So, Lucky you. <laughs> no, but seriously, um, you know, thank you guys for staying with the show and supporting us, and, uh, you know, uh, we, hope, we hope to be a little bit more consistent in the future for you. Yes, that's always the intention. <laughs> well, we should have plenty to talk about over the next few weeks with Solo coming out and... Uh, I think we're going to do a Jurassic Park episode, right, for uh, the anniversary? Uh, that's in the books, yeah. Yeah, I think that's, that's, that's the plan. Um, and I'm sure we'll have um, some other terrific, very interesting, very entertaining shows coming up. So Yeah, fingers crossed, guys. And uh, we may even have a special guest uh, for an upcoming show very soon. So Yes, that's right. I totally forgot about working that. Working on that. Working on that. Um, so, hey, uh, Cesar... <clears throat> what have you been watching before? Uh, well, what are we talking about today? <laughs> what the hell are we doing here? Uh, you know, I'm not sure. Well, I guess uh, this week, um, you know, it was my turn to choose the film uh, for us to discuss, and I chose uh, Hirokazu Koreeda's Our Little Sister, um, also known um, as Umimachi Diary. Um, this is a movie I saw. Uh, a couple, I guess, just last year for the first time. Um, but I guess it turned out to be kind of timely uh, because the director actually just won um, Best Film at the Palm d'Or at the Cannes Film Festival just last week. Yeah, for a movie called Shoplifters, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. So, so that movie actually features a number of people that are in this film. But I'm, I'm purposely avoiding as much as I can. So when the opportunity comes to watch that film, uh, I'll be as fresh as possible. But he tends to use the same stable of actors in many of his films. Um, cool. This yeah, is the only movie of his that I have seen, uh, but this is a recent film. Um, I'm sure you know some of our fans have have not seen this movie. Uh, this is a Japanese film from 2015, so it's it's very recent. Um, it's available from Amazon Prime to buy, uh, which is how I watched it. How did you watch it, Cesar? Uh, there is a Korean D, uh, Korean Blu-ray that came out last year. Um, like a special edition that had English subtitles. There are Japanese Blu-rays available for this, but they're not English-friendly. So um, that's that's how we did it. But like you said, it's on Amazon. It's distributed worldwide outside of uh, Japan. Um, yeah, it's put out here by Sony Picture Classics. Yes. So. Cool. Uh, now, um, Before we get into that, though. Oh, yeah. go ahead, yeah. What have you been? I don't want to step on your toes there. That's okay. <laughs> what have I been watching? Yeah, I'm just gonna turn it around. 
I, you did. You did answer my question. Um, <laughs> uh, well, you know, obviously, I guess the big one that came out last week was Deadpool 2. Uh, I know you saw it. I saw your letterbox rating, which was not very high. <laughs> and, uh, you know, our, our buddy Joe gave it a half star, which I thought was hilarious. Oh, uh, uh, yeah. We went to watch it together, actually. Yeah, I saw that. Um so, I, you know, personally, um, I'm sure we've talked about this. I don't remember any, you know, long, in-depth conversations. But Deadpool's not a favorite character of mine. Um, I get why people like him. You know, he's fun, uh, irreverent, self-referential, uh, very sort of uh, modern, uh, fits right in with the current pop culture landscape. Um, and I, I think we'll probably look back at these films as, you know, a perfect encapsulation of, like, where fandom is at this very moment in time. <laughs> um, I, I like the first movie to a point. It's entertaining. I saw it in the theater. I've never had the desire to rewatch it. Um, I think Ryan Reynolds is really good as the, the main character, Wade Wilson slash Deadpool. Um, maybe, maybe even more perfect for that character than any actor has ever been for a superhero character, maybe going as far back as Christopher Reeve for Superman, because we've talked about our love of him and how perfect he was for Superman. I think when you look at the modern stable of Marvel and DC characters in cinemas, I'm not sure that there is a better fit for any character than Ryan Reynolds for Deadpool. Um, um, okay, that's an opinion. <laughs> <laughs> It is an opinion. Um, I don't read the comics, so it sounds like you maybe have a different opinion. But like, I I would say even more than Hugh Jackman as Wolverine and Robert Downey as Tony Stark and even Chris Evans as Captain America. You know, I I think you know Ryan Reynolds is probably perfect for that. So sure. Uh, um, I think one of the things that a lot of people seem seem to miss. You know, um, a lot of people watch these films, and you know, I I did enjoy the first Deadpool film. Um, the second one less so, <laughs> quite a bit less so. Um, what a lot of people don't seem to um, get though is that in the comic books, like these movies, kind of take Deadpool way farther, like in terms of sexuality and violence than than a comic typically is. Now, a lot of times that's not the case, but in the end, Deadpool is a Marvel Marvel character, so the comics um, don't necessarily go that far. Yeah, especially as far as the first film did in terms of gratuity. Deadpool himself is a character. It really depends on who the writer is um, that decides how I view the character at any given moment. Um, I have not read uh, much Deadpool lately uh, outside of uh, a team-up book that he does with Spider-Man, uh, which is written by a writer I'm a fan of right now. But for many, uh, many years, I haven't been into Deadpool, the character, as much at all. Right. For this film... Uh, I mentioned I did enjoy the first one. Um, no movies without flaws. And I think when you're dealing with a character that has, you know, a couple decades worth of history behind them, um, not just in comic books, which kind of comes with its own baggage uh, when adapting into a, a live action film. Um, Deadpool 2, in my opinion, it pretty much took everything that I didn't like about the first Deadpool and kind of multiplied it into two hours. <laughs> okay. Please, so, please elaborate on that. So I think, um, uh, I did find, I think with the first Deadpool film, uh, the humor comes so fast 
so quick that like even if a joke doesn't hit, there's odds are there's another joke that'll come um, right after that that you do enjoy. Um, this new film, I just I don't know maybe maybe it's a different taste, but the surprise of the first film is no longer there. So, uh, like I didn't find myself thinking almost anything was funny at all in this new one. I just felt that you know the douchebaggery of Ryan Reynolds was on display as opposed to like the humor of Deadpool. Like I think Ryan Reynolds uh, has kind of like taken on the Deadpool persona and in doing so kind of changed the way Deadpool actually is. Not unlike Robert Downey Jr. kind of changing, um, you know, the mannerisms and attitude of the Tony Stark character who previously, you know, in comic books before the films was more of like a James Bond swab type of character. As opposed to like the snarky um, Robert Downey Jr. uh, Tony Stark that we, uh, that we and everyone else knows now. Right. Okay. I just think he's quite a bit more likable than Ryan Reynolds is in real life. So I think maybe that's the divide I'm seeing here for me personally. I can see that. I I think, you know, um, I don't remember the first film all that well. I like, I remember pieces of it, um, the the new film I thought though almost seems to raise the stakes a bit um, by making it more about you know uh, the the soul of the character and how he can save himself by sort of being more selfless. Um, I liked Cable a lot and Domino. Uh, yeah, there, there are bits about this movie that I enjoy. Cable and Domino being tops. Yeah. I thought the action scenes, I, I I think the action scenes in this were better, or I liked them better than I did in the first movie. Um, so, I, you know, personally, I thought it kind of accomplished everything that it wanted to accomplish. Uh, and <clears throat> that's kind of what you need to, or at least what I look at to sort of like, you know, rate a movie. You know, like I, I think, you know, this movie did exactly what it wanted to do. And of course, you know... Uh, personal tastes are going to vary, but I thought it was a very successful sequel. Um, well, you're not the only one. I mean, I know tons of people that seem to really enjoy it. It doesn't seem to have the across-the-board approval uh, that the first one did. So I, I know I'm not alone either in this. It just doesn't... It just didn't satisfy me, <laughs> really. Yeah. I really don't think I, I cracked... I don't think I laughed out loud in that movie theater at all, except for uh, the Green Lantern joke at the end of the film. <laughs> yeah, that was pretty good. <laughs> but, Spoiler <okay>. alert. <laughs> <laughs> Stay halfway through the credits, folks. Stuff happens. You know, whatever. You should always stay all the way through the credits, but in this case, there's no end credit scene. It's a mid-credits sequence, so. Yeah, uh-huh. Uh, but yeah, okay, so it's obvious that Cesar does not recommend Deadpool 2. I think if you like the first one, you're going to enjoy the second one for the most part. Um, you know, but what the hell do I know, so. Yeah, uh, my my feeling is mostly like, whatever. Like, I just, it was a bummer leaving that theater. So that's, that's the gut reaction I got from it. So I'll tell you what, though. Like, I, I liked Josh Brolin more as Cable in Deadpool 2 than I did as Thanos in the Avengers movie. However, I, he's good in both. Yeah, I definitely disagree with you there, but he is good. He, is <laughs> he, good. he just looks cooler and has more shit to do in uh yeah. in, it's cool to see Josh Brolin instead of like, you know, 
Josh Brolin with like a purple suit, a uh, purple CG face. Yeah, so. he's definitely got more hair in the Deadpool movie. Mm-hmm. And less wrinkles in the chin. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah. What does <laughs> what does Star Lord call him? Uh, does he call him Grimace or is that Iron? He, he, when he he does call him Grimace, but like he, purple ball sack he, of a chin. Or yeah, something. yeah, that's it. Yeah. Oh man. Cool. All right. Well, uh, besides Deadpool two, uh, what else have you been watching? Uh, me? Yeah. Uh, well, you know, I started. Um, I guess uh, I just finished uh, a video game, so I hadn't been um, playing a lot of uh, movies to watch lately. So I've actually fallen quite a bit behind in my uh, to watch or my one a day uh, for the year. But uh, I was able to sit down with a movie called um, Little Forest. Um, Little Forest Summer Autumn, uh, which is kind of like a weird little anthology series. Um, well, basically, there are two short films uh, packaged together in one feature-length movie about a young girl who lives on lives on a mountain um, and is kind of self-sufficient for, for food. She farms and does everything she needs, um, basically. And she doesn't travel outside of like this area, this small community of other farmers. Ostensibly, there's not really much of a story uh, that exists around here. You know that her mother is somehow absent, and she's living. She's been living here for a while. You get little tidbits of her of her life outside of the mountain, uh, at a, at an, and at tease at an overarching story. But the main point of the film is to show like sustainability and um, kind of like isolationist cuisine. So it's pretty much like a. Um, how I describe it, almost like a food docudrama. Um, it's an actress. She's not really a farmer, but um, the actress, her name is Hashimoto Ai. Um, she's very good in it. Um, and it makes me very hungry. Like, just seeing, like, the kind of tomato she farms just makes me, like, just want to eat, like, just bite into a tomato. And I never feel like that. <laughs> but it's uh, quite lovely. There's a sequel to it. Um, the film was shot over the course of one year. So uh, that first film only pretty much covers two seasons worth. So the second film, uh, which I am looking forward to watching, um, would be uh, winter and spring. So I mean, maybe we'll maybe I'll be able to talk about it sometime soon. I do have plans to write a legitimate review on on uh, the film Smash Slate for the first film sometime soon. Cool. Right. I, yeah, I have this theory that uh, that you'll watch anything that has to do with food. Uh, you know, uh, to eat is to live. <laughs> uh, live to eat, not not. Uh, wait, eat to argue. live, not live to eat. I don't know. I screwed that up, but that's all right. You quote. Yeah, I think you quoted that correctly. Okay. All right. Eat well, right. <laughs> uh, I like to eat well, unfortunately, but that's not something that I'm proud of. It's something that I'd like to get rid of around my belly. That's, I have a little bit too much going on over here. Um, (laughs) uh, So, hey, um, our little sister, released by Sony Picture Classics, uh, directed by uh, Hirokazu Koreeda. Am I saying that right? Uh, I believe so. Okay. Uh, This is based on a manga, which I didn't know, uh, by Akimi Yoshida. Yes, I've Uh, never... I've read a couple chapters of the manga, but I read it years and years ago, way before this film was a thing. Um, it's the manga's kind of sweet. 
Um, it's a very slice of life, which this movie is too. Um, I haven't gone back to read any of it uh, after watching the film, but it is my intention to revisit it and see how I feel about it. Okay. Uh, so, uh, what what is uh, what is our little sister about, Cesar? Uh, okay, basically, um, three sisters. They live um, in a family home, a very beautiful, old style um, building uh, in the town of Kamakura, which is a pretty famous seaside town uh, in Japan. Uh, they get word that their estranged father, who left them and their mother for another woman. Um, has passed away um, in a rural town. Um, it's been years since their father left, but there really isn't that much um, bad sentiment towards them. They feel that, you know, enough time has passed, it's time to move on. So they decide to go pay their respects at their father's funeral. Uh, while there, they meet their half-sister, who their uh, father had with the woman uh, who left, who caused them to... Um, shift away from from their family um and with her being alone in that town they end up asking her to live with them in kamakura and uh they grow as sisters and as a family throughout the course of the film okay very good very good now uh this was your choice um so uh, what is it about this particular film? I know you said that you really like this is one of your favorite films over the past couple of years. You said, um, so like, <clears throat> what is it specifically about this film that you love? Um, let's see, uh, where do I start? I guess wherever uh, you Karina, want. It's your show, Corita. Yeah. <laughs> in my opinion, um, I've said it. I feel like I've said it on this podcast, but I think he might be the best dramatic director working today. Um, I think. The Japanese drama is something that's very unique, and I think that as a genre, it needs to be um, it needs to be experienced by many more moviegoers. Um, I think this movie over, overall doesn't really have much of a plot aside from what I told you. Um, it's a family drama, and I think uh, the crux of the film is the characters, and I think um, each of the sisters and like the surrounding supporting cast that exists around them all get, get moments that I really, really enjoy. And it's very nuanced, the performances. And I think subsequent viewings, especially like with this uh, viewing I did, I did yesterday evening for this recording, it really cements to me how much care this director takes in his films. Um, the movie tends to be pretty sweet. It's there's sad moments. There are happy moments. Um, but all of it is uh, a very beautiful. It's a very beautiful picture, and it ties itself together so well that, um, as a family drama, it does this weird. It's able to accomplish this weird thing, where you almost feel like you're a part of the family too. I don't know if that makes sense. But it does. As, it as, does. As a viewer, you're kind of ingratiated into this, uh, into this household, um, with uh, the main characters. Uh, her character character's name Susu, who's actually played by an actress named Susu, uh, Hirose Susu. And you follow her into this household, but you're experiencing her, her emotions with her, you know? And I don't, I don't think necessarily it's something that's limited to just, like, uh, having sisters or, or being a woman, but I think it's something, you know, family drama, something everyone has. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, um, 
I think we should mention that um, uh, Corrieta not only directed the film, but also adapted the screenplay from the manga and edited the film as well. Um, yeah, so this is an art. yeah this this is an auteur driven film. Uh, he had pretty much complete control over this movie. Um, so this is his vision. Um, I think you're right. I mean, it's it's a lovely little slice of life story. Um, I kind of looked at it as like a meditation on family uh, and and everyday living. Um, there's it would be easy for and I I think I honestly think this is not a movie for everyone. Um, this is a movie that sort of is um, uh, paced uh, a little bit slowly. Um, very little conflict in the film. Um, and so I, I think I think for less patient viewers, this is going to be a tough sit for them. Um, however, uh, you know, I, I enjoyed the film. I think it's a lovely, uh, you know, character piece. Um, I kind of looked at it more as, um, even though it's, it's really kind of Suzu's story, um, as she sort of, uh, en enters this family. And, and, uh, I, I think, um, I think you're right, you know, that, that this is, we're, we're watching Suzu's story, but I kind of felt like the only one that had like a real character arc in the film was Sachi. Um, yes. uh, so I, I kind of looked at this more as Sachi's story, um, and how the, the one decision that she makes to invite Suzu to come and live with the three sisters uh, affects her and affects her feeling about family, her sisters, her mother, and her life in general. Um, so, uh, it, it, like you said, um, all the actresses are very good. Um, there are very few significant male parts. This is a film about sisterhood. Um, uh, the male characters who are in this um, are are treated well. Uh, they're just not significant players within the story. Um, uh, the the lady who runs the Sea Cat Diner, um, Ninomia. Am I saying that right? Yeah, Ninomia. Ninomia. Um, uh, you know this particular character. I think also um, sort of folds into the idea of family and extended family and how we define family. Um, and she has watched these girls grow um, their entire lives uh, by serving them food at this restaurant. And so uh, they feel that she is part of the family. Uh, so, you know, spoiler alert, when she dies later in the film, um, it, is a, it, is, it is as much of a loss for them as it was for their father or their... Is it their great aunt's sister who dies in the middle? Uh, in the middle, no. It's uh, basically it's their grandmother, their uh, their mother's mother. Um, they're just having a memorial for her um, on the anniversary of her death. Ah, okay, all right. That was confusing to me because it seemed like we had three funerals in the film, um, and uh, it, like in the scene that that. Um, precedes that they talk about their grandmother, but in the scene after that, uh, great auntie is talking about her sister and she tells a story about what her sister used to do. Uh, so I thought maybe that that particular event was the death of the great aunt's sister. Oh yeah. Well, like the great aunt, her sister is the grandmother. Oh, all right. There you go. That does make sense actually, but 
I was confused by that, but that's okay. That's all right. <laughs> I'm here. I'm here to, you know. You're here to straighten me out. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. So, so uh, but yeah, this is, I mean, it's built on, you know, it's built on everyday things. Like I said, there's not a lot of large conflicts. It's all about small tension, little conflicts, um, and kindnesses, uh, you know, and, and I, I think it's masterfully, you know, edited together. Like, I feel like the pacing is, is, uh, is very smooth. Um, you know, there, it doesn't, it doesn't move from scene to scene quickly, but it feels like there's a flow to the picture. Yeah. I think that's one of my favorite things about watching Japanese film. I think you could make a strong argument that Koreeda is very much so a student of Ozu. Um, I think, uh, it's something very special about this film. Uh, like I mentioned, I haven't read the manga, but you can see that there are certain interludes that he's probably taken from the source material and is able to, um, like you said, make them flow together, um, to suit this medium of film. Um, yeah. but there are a number of little moments that, that I absolutely, absolutely do. You mentioned there's a lot of little kindnesses and I think that, and I think that for me tends to go a long way. Um, I think this is the type of movie that kind of personifies humanity. You know, it's not necessarily extreme circumstances, people living, living their lives to the best that they can. You know, you mentioned there are minor struggles. Sure. But I don't know. I think the minor struggles can kind of take their toll on them. And I think that's especially true. Um, by film's end, when you look at a character like uh, Suzu, who, you know, she's thrust upon the situation where she chooses to live with virtual strangers, you know, with, you know, very tenuous ties, you know, albeit blood, blood ties. Um, but I think her character growth throughout the film is very good. And I think um, Hirose Suzu, the actress, she's, um, she's very good. And she's got a very expressive face that, that, um, that I think carries character and serves the film really well yeah I would agree with that definitely I think um, uh, I just I just lost my train of thought there I the uh, you were talking about um, the the kindnesses and little struggles and and um, the, the one thing that I really uh, I think is great about the film is that uh, Corieta doesn't feel like any one moment needs to be like expressed cinematically with some sort of like uh like oppressive style or you know like he never ramps up the music you know like for any particular moment or tries to manipulate you as a viewer uh it's very observational uh and i don't know enough about japanese cinema to know if he's the only kind of uh filmmaker that's doing this um but it's it's not doc it's not documentary in in style but it, it feels in a way that it's almost docudrama. Yeah. I see that. Cause that, that where he places the camera, there's not a ton, there's close-ups, but there's not, there's a lot more three shots and four shots and two shots, uh, with him just kind of like letting the performers, uh, you know, work the scene, um, and, and, and live in the space that they've created for these characters instead of kind of like, really cutting in and, and, and over editing the, the picture, you know, to, to 
you know, to, to emphasize things, um, which is something that, you know, for some other filmmakers, I like, you know, when, when David Fincher or Quentin Tarantino or somebody like that, you know, zooms in on a character's face and ramps the music up and gives you that dun, dun, dun moment, like, you know, but this isn't that kind of a film and he's not that kind of a filmmaker. Um, and it's, I don't know, it's just got like sort of like a very lovely quality to it. It's just kind yeah, of like easygoing. There, there are moments in the film that I think are just uh, absolutely gorgeous. The photography is very good. Um, I think probably for a lot of people, if you're talking about one particular like scene of beauty, um, it's probably the Cherry Blossom Tunnel. Yeah. Um, so I think um, first time I watched it, like I... I literally had my like my breath taken away by like kind of like I wouldn't say it's a quiet beauty because there's definitely but you know it, it's a moment uh, it's a moment of life I guess you could say there's uh, I guess uh, in the scene uh, Suzu and uh, a, a young uh, classmate and, and teammate on the soccer team uh, he kind of shows her um, she kind of laments that cherry blossoms are gone where they live. So he takes her to a place where cherry blossoms haven't yet gone yet. And he rides a bike through this absolutely gorgeous looking, uh, strip of road that is, um, just like, uh, covered with cherry blossom trees. And it's a moment that, you know, there's no dialogue. There's, there's music that plays through it, but it's, it's, uh, you know, it's a very, very lovely moment. And, you know, just yeah. being lost in it is, you know, is something that, uh, Suzu is as the character on screen, but also you are as an audience member. Absolutely. I, you mentioned the score and uh, like I mentioned that they don't really ramp up the score a whole lot. Um, the, the score is very good though. It's quite good. Um, yeah. it's done and, by uh, a composer named Yoko Kano, who I think is one of the best composers. You don't, people just, just don't know about. Um, she's probably more, most well known for having, um, composed musical scores for, um, Japanese anime, uh, but people know her from like big stuff. Like she, she's responsible for the score for like Ghost in the Shell, Cowboy Bebop. Has she, has she done any Miyazaki movies? No. Oh, because uh, uh, for some reason the 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 sort of main theme uh, of this movie uh, just reminds me of like um, like a Miyazaki trailer. Like that's what I think of when I hear it. Yeah, so. Miyazaki like he, he works with a guy named Joe Saishi, um, but he's kind of like their all-time collaborators, you know? Okay. Uh, but yeah, she's excellent. Like I'm a, I'm a massive fan of her work. Yeah. So. Well, I think, um, I want to, I want to go back real quick cause you were talking about the, um, cherry blossoms and, uh, and I, I think one of the strongest, um, sort of like, uh, threads of the film is, is taking the time to appreciate life as you live it. Um, Quite a few times, there's the mention of uh, the the father character and um, the uh, uh, Ninomiya, um, and talking about how like they they were glad at the end of their life that they could still appreciate beauty, um, and I I think that the you know the Suzu character in particular kind of like takes that in to heart, um, and she's able to sort of. Uh, you know, open herself up to the world throughout the film. And I think they do that in a number of ways through like the scene of fireworks and the cherry blossoms and the seashore. Um, and, uh, and I, I like that idea. You know, it's, it's sort of like, you know, stopping to smell the roses without the filmmaker sort of like beating you over the head with that. 
Well, cherry blossoms also carry like cultural connotation um, in Japan too. Sure. Um, people really love them um, for the beauty, but they're very impermanent. You know, in, in like a week, you know, cherry blossoms are gone. They're, you know, either um, brushed away by the wind or, or whatever have you. Um, so sometimes it's it's such a very small window for someone to enjoy it that like being able to see it is, uh, you know, it's it's a little joy that you can that you can have. Um, so like the memories tend tend to last a lot longer for that for that um, much longer than the actual like blossoms themselves. Yeah. Well, I know, uh, you know, you in particular, um, like to, uh, there, well, the, the Japanese gave the United States a bunch of cherry blossoms that we planted in DC, right? Yes. Okay. Uh, right on the basin. Right. So, you know, I have been to DC, you know, being a former Baltimorean or Baltimorean at heart, whatever you want to call it. Um, but I know that you typically make time every year to go down and see them, uh, and, and go to the festival. Um, so it, that's, uh, is that, is that anything that you want to, talk about on a personal level or well, I don't or know no. <laughs> special but uh, I think the cherry blossoms that I think uh, are stunning it's it's very much difficult to organize a trip because you never really know when the cherry blossoms are going to be there the best like predictions for when they're going to bloom um, can change very drastically and I think this year itself was a very good example with like our various cold and warm snaps throughout this early spring season yeah, um, the cherry blossoms. You know, the adjustment for schedule is very difficult to find out when those are going to be in peak bloom or, or what have you. Um, I I find myself as I get older, be being able to try to enjoy nature quite a bit more than I used to, and and I think uh, the quietness of the cherry blossoms this year. I happen to go during the week as opposed to the very busy weekends that DC um, tends to host. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it was really lovely just being able to kind of like be out and about in like beautiful weather and enjoying, enjoying a bit of nature, uh, with some friends and, you know. Yeah. Now we never went to the cherry blossom festival together, but we have been to DC together a few times. So, uh, man, traffic sucks down there. (laughs) That's why you train it. Yeah. That's why you take the Metro. Um, yeah, yeah. If I if I come back to Baltimore, we'll have to go to DC uh, and do that. Yeah, I mean, we always went to movies to watch. <laughs> I, we DC. did, and you know, we would always go to a movie and ha- and eat, but because uh, you know, gotta have your food. Eat to live, man. <laughs> there you go, or, or live to eat. You know, depending on what mood I'm in. <laughs> Speaking about food, this I, movie is uh, cuisine and a number of motifs. I was gonna say you took the words right out of my mouth. That was my segue, but go ahead. <laughs> Oh, okay. Well, since I said it, I want to hear your thoughts on that. Uh, well, you know, I think um, I, I don't, I can't explain culturally if, you know, like, you know, the Italians love their food, you know, the Greeks love their food. And, and, and usually there's a lot of like family ties to uh, supper time, you know, and things like that. And I'm, I, you, you could probably better explain, uh, you know, specifically, uh, in Japanese culture, like whether food has a specific family tie or whatever that is. But I, I mean, um, food's incredibly important in this movie. Uh, there are, uh, you know, a number of scenes of them cooking and eating together. Um, there are, uh, things like the plum wine that they make together, the white bait, um, when they're making seafood curry, um, 
and there's just this idea um, that you know, I moving on just a little bit, uh, and we'll come back to that. But like, I like the idea, like the Nino Mia character, who is dying but has the uh, the little restaurant by the seashore. Um, her there's a there's a subplot where she's not only dying but she's also being sort of like um, pressed for money by her brother. Uh, who originally was cut off from their mother's will, um, but he, after she died, um, he recently contacted the Nina Mia character and is demanding his um, uh, his part of of her estate, which is essentially all wrapped up in her restaurant, right? Yes. Um, so the the idea that her food is so special and the, and the main characters all all four of the sisters have grown to love her food and and even Suzu in her short time there, um, you know, uh, there's a number of scenes of them in her diner uh, and talking about her food and there's this idea that she's going to die and that her recipes um, are something that her brother can never take away. And the other character who is, is that her husband or boyfriend or just a friend? Well, uh, well I guess like uh, by the end of the film, he becomes her boyfriend. Okay. It's, uh, um, he, runs, he runs a cafe um, at a different part of town. Right. Senichi, is that the character? Um, it's played, Lily... it's played by an uh, actor named Lily Frankly. Yeah. Really Frankly. Um, so, but... I, can't, I can't recall his name off, off of my head. Uh, whenever I see him, all I think is the name is Lily Frankly. So, the Lily Frankie character. Yeah, so so he decides that he's going to take some of her recipes and actually prepare them and use them in his restaurant as a way for her food to live on even after she is gone. Um, so, you know, I, I, this idea that, like, food is something that we not only gather around and create together, but that gets handed down from generation to generation and kind of lives past us is a, is a very... Um, uh, it's it's a very neat idea that I, that I like um, because we don't always necessarily value it in that way, especially here in this country when everything's fast food and disposable and, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't and family time is so uh, difficult to come by, you know, in in households where both parents work and things like that. So, sure, um, I think, uh, but I think even if that's the case, and um, and that isn't as common as it used to be, I think a lot of people can can relate to the idea of like, you know, grandmother's home cooking or, or, or whatever have you, you know, enjoying something that you've enjoyed for generations, be it at a restaurant or, or at your home, home kitchen or dining table. I think, uh, uh, something that's actually kind of interesting about it is that, uh, you know, uh, Ninomia, her character, um, runs the, uh, the sea cat cafe. Right. Yeah. Um, uh, Lily Frankie's character, which I was going to look it up real quick, is yeah, Senichi. He actually runs uh, kind of like a coffee caf- coffee shop slash cafe, um, and they never tell you what it's called, but there is English on the side of his building, and it says uh, the Yama Neko Cafe, um, which Yama means mountain and Neko means cat. So she runs the Sea Cat um, Diner. He runs the uh, Mountain Cat um, Cafe. Okay, I think uh, that's an little touch. Yeah, there's nothing. There's something you don't see. I guess you don't subtitle it because he has English writing on it. But unless you actually know the meaning for the words of Japanese, um, that's that's a little tidbit that that would be very easy to miss. Um, now, 
with his cafe, there's a there's a pretty great scene when uh, Suzu and a number of her uh, teammates from the soccer team are there eating uh, white bait on toast, um, and uh, you realize she realizes that her father had been there before because it's a taste that um, a taste that he shared with her when she was younger, right? And, you know, she, so she tastes like a bit of her father um, eating at this restaurant. So I think uh, one of the main themes about this film in, in regards to Suzu is that she comes to this town that her father has history with because she only knows him as having lived in, uh, I think she says Sendai and then and then Yamagata, uh, but but not this town that she currently resides. But she's, she's learning things about her father she never knew before. And I think there's, there's a duality in that with her. Uh, I mean, it's not as strong, but there's a duality with that with her... Uh, with Chica, next older sister Kaho, or the actress played by Kaho. Yeah, Chica. Uh, Chica, yeah. Um, yeah, they're they're seen together where they are are really good together. I think she she tends to definitely be overshadowed a bit by um, by Yoshino and Sachi, but I think uh, her her scenes with Suzu are absolutely terrific, though. Yeah, I, I like them together, and the scene that you're referring to specifically where they're having, a, like, a stew, is it, is it, uh... It's like, they're having a curry. Yeah. Um, like so... Not, used, not but, necessarily seafood curry, like you, like you hear, it's a different one, she's got a different preference. Right, preference. yeah, because it's something that Sachi and, uh, Yoko-chan do not like. Yeah, well, um, they, they eat, um, the seafood curry that their mother taught them. right. That's the but, one that Suzu see. Like, there's so many scenes with food. Like, Suzu makes uh, the seafood curry with Sachi, yes. and they have the conversation about how it's the only meal their mother ever taught them to make, and it was the last meal That's they ever pretty, taught them to make. Affecting scene though, because um, it's it's a moment when Suzu opens her up, opens up to her sister. Um, but then you know she she says something uh, to Sachi about how uh, you know, how she's sorry that her mother is responsible for breaking up her family. Right. Um, and that, you know, uh, what's the line? Um, you know, my mother was a bad person because she fell in love with a married, with a married man with a family. And, you know, which is, her, which is a subplot that Sachi is currently living through. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I think, I think that's a very, I mean, that moment kind of hits you pretty hard. I think there are a couple moments that I think uh, you really feel for Sachi's character and Suzu because, you know, just because of what isn't known and, you know, that's the moment you see Suzu being very, very open and very kind of melancholy, but she's also the type of person uh, who's very kind of like vibrant and cheerful throughout most of the film up until that point. Yeah. Yeah. I think for Suzu, this is all about sort of like uh, releasing her guilt and finding acceptance within this new family unit. Um, and for Sachi, it's more of like being opened up uh, to uh, forgiving and letting go of of what happened between her mother and her father and, and the repercussions of that within their family union. Uh, going back to the scene um, uh, with Suzu and Chika when they're eating, um, you were talking about how Suzu was discovering new things about uh, her father by living in the new town. Uh, I like the idea that the Chica says, tell me something about father because I don't remember a whole lot about him. And she says that he loves to fish. And they set this up earlier in the film because uh, Chica 
uh, wants to go carp fishing with her boyfriend. Yeah, uh, you see, you see something where like early on in the film, she's playing with a stick um, over like the dining room table. Right, which is she's mimicking like the it's it, the carp fishing technique. I guess so. Yeah. Casting. Um, so, so like, but she, she has this desire within her to go fishing and that the other two sisters do not share apparently. So she's trying to get her boyfriend to go carp fishing. And then she finds out from Suzu that her father loved to fish. So she, she learns something about herself, uh, and, and, and a connection to her father that she was not aware of before. Um, and I like that. I, I like that she comes to know him a little bit better through Suzu. I think uh, something I think that's also very interesting is that with Suzu's character, they go through a number of lengths to show how similar and how how to, how she is um, alike her three other sisters. You know, whether it's by physical appearance, mannerisms, and you know, as a character, she stands alone. But her mannerisms and you know the times when she resembles the other characters, I think those are really really um, interesting moments. Whether it's her you know, eating food just like, uh, just like Chica, um, the way she kind of, um, shovels food down. Right. Um, or, or kind of like her, um, and she gets drunk like Yoshina. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and, you know, I guess like there's that moment towards the end of the film where she's kind of maybe not exhibitionist, but a little bit wild like Yoshino is. Oh, when she opens her towel up in front of the fan. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I oh, like Sachi's, I like Sachi's reaction to that, though, because throughout the film, she's the one who she's the older sister. She's the caregiver, essentially, uh, literally a caregiver in her profession. But she's the caregiver of the family unit as well. And uh, and the whole film, she's been kind of scolding them for doing the wrong things. Um, And in that moment, she's like, you know, she she kind of she kind of half smiles and she's she's sort of like. She's amused by it. Like, she, she's endeared to Suzu through that moment as well. Sure. Well, that's the first time she ever actually scolded Suzu in the film, if I'm not mistaken. So I think that's a moment where she also realizes probably that Suzu has fully, like, integrated into the family unit. Uh, because, you know, she scolds them. And a lot of times, like, Chika and Yoshino, they tend to, tend to like, brush it off because, you know, it's something they've heard a million times before. Yeah. So, like, Suzu also kind of reacts in the same way because you know it's a joke to her. You know, not not like a not like a legitimate scolding. Right. Yeah. Um. Yeah, she definitely has. I think the strongest bond with Sachi, um, and well, think, uh, and less so with Chika. But I think I think she has the weakest bond, I guess, with Yushino. But uh, that's, um, you know, I I don't think that's a flaw within the film or anything like that. I think it's just you know. That's just natural. Yeah, I mean, they they don't have a ton of moments together. They have that nice moment at the train station right after she gets there, where she keeps calling her uh, by her formal name, um, and and she says, you know, you know, please call me by, you know, I, I'm obviously paraphrasing, but please call me. Is it Yokchan? Yochan. Yochan. Um, you know, which is basically like. Like a nickname. Yeah, yeah, like that's that's what the family calls her, you know, not what a teacher would call her or something like that. Yes. Um, well, I think like Suzu's attachment to Sachi definitely stems from like the moment they first met at the beginning of the film at her father's funeral. Yeah, that that's a that's a good moment. Um, go ahead. You want to explain what that is? Well, um, they're at the funeral. Suzu um, uh, 
happens to be there and Sachi, she shows up late. Um, she had worked the night before and uh, we find out that she was able to, to travel throughout the night in order to make it during the day. So as she's introducing herself to like her half sister, um, I guess uh, Suzu's stepmother, who is of no relation to them. Right. Uh, um, her and I'm going to assume it's uh, her brother. So probably like her step uncle, maybe would, um, uh, they ask her, Suzu to address the crowd because they're unable to, um, before they have a funeral procession and Sachi, she's like, she's very kind of taken aback, I guess, because, you know, Suzu is just like a 15, 14 year old girl. And uh, they're asking her to speak at like her, uh, her father's wake when it's, when it's, you know, in that culture, it's the job of like the widow or, or whatever have you. The head um, of the family, right? Yeah, certainly. Yeah. Um, so she, she kind of stands up to them and, you know, I think for Suzu, that means a lot to her because she's clearly uncomfortable with it. And you find that she doesn't necessarily have the strongest feelings uh, of affection for like her stepmother. Um, but uh, I think that moment is what kind of, uh, she takes on almost like a hero quality <laughs> to like, to like in Suzu's eye. I mean, there's well, a glance that she it seems her. like she's probably the, the, the first strong female uh, you know, role model that she's had because her her stepmother is uh, was taken care of by her father, was unable to care for her father when her father fell ill, uh, and she you know was a her mother died when she was young. Yeah. So so, uh, so when when it's suggested that Suzu should take on this responsibility, um, I th- I think as a viewer because you know this is literally like the second scene that Suzu's in, in in the film, you know, aside from her meeting them at the train station. Um, And I think there's the potential for you as a viewer to think that Suzu is offended by her stepping in and saying she can't do this because she's not old enough. Um, But I think, you know, uh, in retrospect, that that moment is sort of like a a real contrast between the weak will of the stepmother and the firmness and traditional qualities of Sachi. Um, and yeah, I think you're right. I think in that moment, she's instantly gained the respect of Suzu. Yeah. I mean, there's a, there's a hierarchy of things too, that, that kind of exists. Like you don't talk back to your parents. You don't, uh, you know, you don't, you don't question authority necessarily, but like, uh, Sachi, like a perfect stranger is going to bat for her. And, uh, I think that means a lot. Yeah. Um, and I think, uh, maybe not, not, not even more so than like the scene they immediately follows the funeral. I guess like the three sisters are, are leaving to go to the train station uh, to head back to their town. Um, and Suzu kind of, she, she chases them down and gives them a, uh, a photograph that her father kept of like, uh, of the three sisters um, that he kept in his desk while he worked. Yeah. Um, and I think the scene that follows that precedes that is, uh, or that follows that, um, that picture giving is very strong. Um, where they, they climb a bit of a precipice um, to get a view of the town. And, uh, you know, it's kind of revealed to Suzu. And this is one of those moments where, like, the music does kick in for dramatic effect, but I think it's it's very effective. Um, when, like, uh, you find out that, you know, this whole time, like, Suzu was the one who was taking care of her dying father, like, alone. Right. Uh, basically. And I think that's a really strong moment. And I think uh, Hirose Suzu, like... Uh, the actress. I mean, it's, it's kind of tough talking about it because Suzu's her, her real name is Suzu. Right. Suzu. So she's born to play this role, maybe. <laughs> um, but like she, 
like I think like her emotional range in that scene is very strong. Um, yeah, I, I agree definitely. I mean, she's she's a strong performer in general. Yeah, the timing of that tear is perfect. <laughs> um, she, yeah. I think you know for Sachi. Uh, you know, like Sachi, again, I think has the strongest arc of anybody in the film. Um, I think immediately she sort of recognizes in Suzu qualities that she has within herself and sees that Suzu is like essentially like right on the cusp of, of having the, you know, the sort of uh, life that she had, you know, having to take on a lot more responsibility, you know, when the family unit broke down Um, and sort of losing her childhood and I think that that's one of one of the the major factors in her uh, inviting Suzu to come and live with them is so that she can almost protect her and allow her to have the childhood that she could never have. Um, which comes up later in the film when Sachi is obviously having, um, I, and they don't sexualize this in any way, but she's sort of at least having an emotional affair with one of the doctors at the hospital who is married, but whose wife is clinically depressed. Um, and uh, he talks about getting a divorce from his wife, uh, but feels guilty about leaving her um, because she is ill. Um, and so they're never able to, at least it seems they're never able to sort of consummate that relationship. Um but it feels like Sachi's sort of like living through this idea that like all these other pieces that were a part of her bloodline, like, you know, the thing that happened with her father is happening to her in a way. And the thing that happened to her is happening to Suzu in a way at the start of the film. So like these things are all happening in a cycle of life um, that I find, you know, uh, it's kind of like, like a, a very pleasant, um, you know, I don't know. It's it, it's it's a it's a nice little thing that I like about the story. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, the movie is also, uh, I guess, it generally takes place over the span of one year, so um, you kind of see them going through seasons, whether it's like fall, spring, summer, and each of those uh, seasons kind of comes with little moments. Uh, you mentioned, you know, plum harvests in the spring, and um, you know, I guess uh, for for a lot of things, they're like I guess with food too, the food sequences in the film, uh, seasonality right. is a big part of it. Um, there's a uh, yeah, because in the beginning it's warm enough like they're eating outside a lot, mm-hmm. whereas like as the as the movie progresses, they they tend to eat all always inside later in the film. Yeah, wearing more layers and or what have you. Yeah. Um, there's uh, I, the movie is bookended by funerals too, so. Um, I definitely think the cycle of life is very, very evident uh, in like that choice of inc- inclusion in the first and third acts. Um, but yeah, I think uh, the movie's very well plotted and staged. I think too. Yeah, and I really think that uh, like Kamakura is an absolutely gorgeous town. Oh yeah, like, this town is like amazing. Like <laughs> it, it's like. I think, like it's like right on the shore and like they have like their little public transit train that sort of like it almost weaves through the back of the houses. Like it's that like close knit almost. But it feels like they travel a lot throughout the movie within the town. So it has to be bigger than it looks on screen. Um, so it's just like it's, it's just kind of neat. Like like it's almost like a place that I would want to visit. It looks pretty cool. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I think they're um... – 
you know, I guess like, to be honest, uh, it's not just from this film, but, um, you know, when people, when people visit Japan, you know, they say Tokyo is where you want to go visit. Like for me, I'd definitely rather visit like a more like, like a seaside town or a rural area and Kamakura looks like really gorgeous. I think the first scene, um, the first scene of the film is Yo-chan kind of like leaving, uh, her boyfriend's apartment. Right. And, uh, she steps out and as she steps out, um, the camera pans and you see like this beautiful seaside shot. Um, and you know, for her, it's like, whatever, she's just walking, she's just walking home. Um, but like even just the streets and like, uh, the scenery just like very, very striking. Yeah. And, and when even like, you know, I mean, once they get off the beach, uh, there's, there's some lush vegetation there also. So like they have a little bit of everything there. It's, uh, you know, it, it, it feels like there's partly mountainous, um, you know, partly wooded, and they're close like, enough to the like seashore. It's built into nature as opposed to, like, claiming it. Yeah, yeah, that's a good way to put it, definitely. Um, I was going to say, the, the, the lady who plays um, Yoshino, um, yes. Masami Nagasawa, am I saying that right? Yes. Probably not, but... Um, uh, when I looked up on on IMDb just to get the actors' names and stuff, um, I noticed that uh, it said that she was a model who was known for having beautiful legs. <laughs> yes, and absolutely. I and I think that that like it's it's funny because they open the movie up with a shot of her legs as they oh, as they she, crane uh, the camera up as she's in bed with her boyfriend. Uh-huh. Uh, and throughout uh, the film, actually, what's that? Oh, wait, she's actually uh, my biggest. Japanese actress film crush. Okay, like, awesome. Players, well, so. like throughout the like, film, no small, no small like aspect of it. But yeah, they're lovely. <laughs> yeah, throughout the film, she's. Uh, I mean, Suzu wears a schoolgirl outfit, so sh- her legs are showing. But she's a fourteen-year-old girl. Like of the other, the other three sisters, Yoshino's the only one who actually wears shorts and shows off her legs throughout the movie. So I just thought that that was probably like in her contract. Like <laughs> I got to so show there's a, you, you mentioned that there's a scene like after the funeral, when they come back, um, not the funeral after the memorial for the grandmother, she actually moves into like the foreground so she can take off her pantyhose. So yeah. Yeah. You can see like, you know, not necessarily close up cause it's not in focus, but like it's, it's an, it's an extra, you know, shot of her legs. Yeah. Well, and when they get to the hotel, when they go to her father's funeral, and she like, there's a shot from behind her as she's like crawling on the ground, and she's like, "I need a beer. Like, I want a beer." Mm-hmm. So she like, so you get an extra shot of her. Like, she's the only one who gets like sexualized in any way in the movie. Um, well, she's so. definitely she's the she's the worldly sister, you know. Yeah. Well, she's she's the yeah the more fun party type as yeah. opposed to you know. You know, Sachi was the one who had to take up the responsibility, so that left, you know, uh, Yochan to... I keep switching back and forth between Yochan and Yoshino, but it's the same person. Uh, <laughs> um, but it, that kind of, like, took the pressure off of her and let her lead, like, a normal life. So she seems like a normal, young Japanese woman. Yeah. Um, you know, she's... Maybe a little, bit, a little bit more vivacious. Yeah, exactly. Um, her her arc is... is she, I, I think I said before that the other ones don't really have any kind of compelling arc, but I, I do think she has a little arc. Um, like throughout the film, she becomes uh, 
much more focused on her professional life um, and her string of, of boyfriends uh, who are, are you worthless. Know, uh, well, they keep using the word useless when they talk about men, um, which I think is interesting. Um, but, you know, I don't want to dig into that too much. But, um, yeah, her string of boyfriends ends. Um, and, and I like the idea that uh, I said earlier that they sort of treat the male characters well. Uh, they don't really demonize or villainize anybody. Um, uh, but the, the one boyfriend that she has at the beginning that she's in bed with, um, at one point suggests that uh, Suzu has been coached by her stepmother to allow um, them to, to take Suzu and leave the entire inheritance to the stepmother, um, uh, which I thought was going to go somewhere at some point. Like, I thought that was going to, you know, e either become conflict between the sisters or that it might actually, like, occur. But they sort of, like, drop that right away. It's almost like a non... It's a non-issue. Well, I mean, it's kind of called back when you find out that he's like, he's been coached by whoever he owes money to in order to get money from Yoshino. Right. So, yeah. So he he uh, he knows from experience. Well, but I like the idea that he essentially is like, I'm not good enough for you. Like, go find somebody who is. And like, he he's very decent about the way he breaks up with her, even though she's upset about it initially. She gets over it very quickly. Um, but it, you know, he, you know, he, he at least calls and says, he, he fesses up to the truth. He's like, look, this is what's going on and you deserve better than this. So, you know, have a good life. Um, so I at least admire the way that they treat the male characters with respect in the film, even the ones who are not good, you know, good people. They're still, you know, or, or at least going through hardship, they're still being decent enough. Uh, the, the doctor character that's, you know, whose wife is depressed, that's having a relationship with Sachi, is never portrayed as uh, just wanting to get in her pants or anything like that. You know, and, and it, he wants yeah, to do... emotionally invested, certainly. Yeah, and he wants to do right by his wife also. He's very torn about what's happening in his life as well. Uh, and when she tells him that she can't go to America with him, um, he, he takes that in stride. Like, I, like I, so, like I was kind of uh, impressed <laughs> by he was like you know this is my fault because i waited too long yeah well you know he leaves he leaves maybe not abruptly but he leaves soon after so i just imagine him you know after, <laughs> i just imagine going off somewhere to cry that's what happens i mean the three sisters are very beautiful maybe but he he still handles <laughs> it well though like he actually takes like on the blame i like to think that he cries <laughs> okay after he let Haruka Ayase go. Hey, if if uh, you know if, if if I was in a relationship with Sachi and she didn't want me anymore, I'd probably go cry too. <laughs> yeah, drink your coffee somewhere else. <laughs> uh, well, um, I guess like speaking of Sachi, there's um, there's like uh, you see a little bit of her professional life too um, at the hospital. Um, right. She gets assigned to a terminal care ward. Uh, at least you imagine she's just a regular like floor nurse um, at the beginning of the film. Um, but she kind of moves on. Um, she gets and I promoted. Guess with, uh, yeah. Um, but early in the film, there's a moment when, like, uh, she's um, she's looking for, you know, a character you never see on screen, but a character named Arai, who uh, apparently is not a very good nurse. Right. Um, yeah, but she moves into uh, the terminal care ward, and I guess you assume that uh, you find out um, 
through exposition that like Arai has has kind of joined her there, but like uh, her ability and compassion, um, you know, she maybe didn't excel as a regular nurse, but in the terminal care ward, like she's she's able to do things uh, um, that earn the trust of her patients. Um, like she's she's very she's much more she's not cold, you know, which you know sometimes you gotta you have to be in a hospital when death is like you know could occur at any time. I think that's that's a that's a bit of a learning experience for Sachi too. That that I that moment I quite Well, like there's that moment where she says that she really admired how much care and attention she gave to a specific patient. Is she talking about that particular nurse? Yes. I did not catch that. So that that's no, an interesting the beginning of the film said, you know, oh she's worthless or, or Right, whatever. right. Yeah, no, I didn't catch that. That's a great that's a great point, actually. That's interesting. And I think uh that's that's a moment that that has her, uh, especially because like uh, shortly, uh, the, the the diner owner Ninomia is is going to be on that floor, right? You know, so I think uh, it's it's a very interesting way that uh, that they build it because, you know, I guess for a, a good chunk of the film, Sachi is kind of torn about whether she's going to be taking taking this promotion or not. Yeah, I, I don't think there's ever any question about it in the movie. Like, she does debate it, like, you know, but I, I think given her character and what we see of her in the film, it's pretty clear that at the end of the movie, that's what she's going to be doing. Yeah, she doesn't necessarily, I wouldn't say she necessarily agonizes on it, but it's, you know, it's a point of discussion, certainly. And, yeah. you know, character growth. Um, cool. And we, I like, um, I like Chica's boyfriend and the, the little story behind him, you know, the idea that he was a mountain climber and he went on this expedition and was very successful, but then his next exhibition, he got lost on Everest and lost six of his toes. And then that's it. He can't mountain climb more or doesn't want to mountain climb anymore. Um, yeah, he's had enough of it. Um, so he runs a, a sporting goods store with, uh, with Chica, which I think is cool. And I, I love that they go to visit Suzu's um, school team soccer uh, and they just kind of sit there and watch practice and they kind of go back and forth and talk about how good the players are and how things have changed since Suzu's joined the team. And they're a really sweet couple. But And, and again, they never sexualize anything. They're just, they're just kind of like they click, like they're, they're pieces of a puzzle, like they belong together. It's kind of neat. Yeah, I think there's a, there's a good moment at the towards the end of the film um, during like uh, I guess the summer fireworks festival, and uh, you get you get kind of like a whip around um, of like the different characters at different locations in the town watching the fireworks. Suzu on a boat, you know Yoshino on top of her office building, um, and you can hear it popping off. But you have um, you have Chica and like uh, uh, maybe not boyfriend, who knows? But like her manager, right? <laughs> or whatever. Like they're they're in. They're, they're definitely a pair. They're definitely a couple. Sure. We, we just don't see anything like, you know, romantic. We just like, they, they have a strong bond though. But yeah, keep going. Yeah, he's he's ignoring the fireworks and looking at the photo of the mountain. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, uh, you know, she asked him, you know, are you, are you going to be leaving again? You know, he says no. I think, you know, maybe he's found a reason to stay uh, with her. Um, and, you know, she ignores the fireworks from that point too. And, you know, she, she tries to uh, get him or begins begins her campaign to get him to go fishing with her, you know, right. try to find a new endeavor to kind of handle something they could do together. 
Yeah, but he's he's very uh, in, interested in that though. Like as as like she's doing her like I keep wanting to call it swish and flick, which is a Harry Potter thing. But like when she's doing her little carp thing and going, um, yeah. like he's he's like he's like yeah, you almost got it. But he keeps like saying, do it this way, do it this way. So like you know, it, it, I don't know. Like I I think of um. Well, there, I mean, there really aren't too many relationships in the movie between a man and a woman um, of any significance. But, like, I really just, I, I like their their chemistry together. Yeah, the rapport is very good. Yeah. Um, Suzu has, uh, I can't remember the kid's name. I didn't write it down. Uh, is it Fumi? Futa. 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 Okay. Uh, so her schoolmate, the one who takes her on the bike ride through the cherry blossoms... I kind of like their little relationship too. It's, it's, it's very realistic in that they are obviously attracted to one another. And I don't necessarily mean in the sexual way, but they, they're friends. Um, they're both on the soccer team. They like each other. So they kind of hang out together. Um, but when it's suggested that they're dating, both of them are like, no way, because they're still at that point where like that, like I get the feeling that it's like, Ooh, that's gross. Like, no, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like well, ooh, I mean, boys age where they don't know what it means not really right so. but they still find a way to keep they're still attracted to one another and want to spend time together and and really like their friendship develops throughout the film to the point where suzu's confessing things about her life to him and he's confessing things about his life to her that probably neither of them tell anybody else mm-hmm. uh the idea that he's the youngest of three boys and that his parents wanted a girl, so when he was born, like uh, th- he feels that they don't love him as much as his brothers, and that's why there's not as many photos of him uh, as as his brothers because he's just the third brother. And if they had had a girl, they'd dote on her much more. Um, and I, and I like that. Everybody's got an inner life, and like on the fringes of the screen have have other things going on, you know, that kind of bleed into this other story with Suzu and, and these girls. Um, so it feels very lived in. Uh, and, and it's, you know, in that respect, I, I, I think, I think it's really masterful uh, how he's able to sort of like weave this stuff in. Yeah, I think uh, the actress Suzu, uh, Hirose Suzu, um, after this film came out, she became like a household name. So, and I mean, you know, she's, she's great actress, very cute. I think like, um, there are, there's no shortage of teenage boys that were probably in love with her immediately following the release of this film. I can see that. Yeah. I mean, she's very, very good in the movie and she's cute, you know? Yeah. I mean, like she's, uh, she's kind of, I guess like those three actresses, maybe, uh, the actress who plays Chika, Kaho, maybe her not so much, but, uh, Haruka Ayase, and Masami Nagasawa, who play uh, uh, Sachi and Yoshino, respectively, um, two were, you know, in, in their youth, they kind of occupied the same role that uh, Hirose Suzu occupies right now in terms of, like, youthful, like, the, like the Japanese it girl. Yeah. Well, it's funny. Uh, you mentioned um, uh, Chika. She's played by an actress just with one name called Keho. Yes. Um, throughout the film... Uh, she goes through a lot of different like looks and like hairstyles and stuff kind of like, you know, like there are scenes where she's, it's like, I think there's a scene where she's obviously just gotten out of like the bath or something and her hair's all wet. So like 
out of the out of the four actresses who lead this film, she's the one who's sort of like uh, I don't know. Let me let me uh, see see how I want to put this. Like she's the one who looks more ordinary. Well, she's also pretty young too. So I think in the film, she's still she's supposed to be still a teenager. Um, yeah. So she's not that much older than Suzu is. Um, so you know, she's at the point where it doesn't really. Uh, it's not as important to her yet. I mean, I guess Yoshino, she's fully invested in looking for a romantic love life. And Sachi, she's got this, you know, uh, like we mentioned earlier, emotional investment in a relationship right now. Yeah. So, I mean, she feels confident. I mean, you see uh, see the way uh, the store manager, I can't remember what his name is now. Uh, but, you know, he's he's got like a little Japanese afro going on. Yeah, I love it. <laughs> it's so awesome. He's got got a Japanese afro, only four toes. It's awesome. Yeah. And he's the only man in in the entire movie that that's ever been to that house, right? Yeah, inside. Yeah. yeah, he's the only one who's been invited into the house. So obviously he's he's got something going on with Chica. <laughs> well, I'll help you move and then shows up after it's done. And I don't play people who pull that move. He loves their pickles. <laughs> uh, well, you know, um, I think there's a lot of scenes that take place on like the, I guess, kind of like that open door veranda kind of area. Yeah. Um, you know, like throughout, throughout the season, it's mostly in the summertime. Uh, but, you know, there are moments like, I guess I want to say in the fall, um, I guess Suzu kind of like wakes up and sees uh, Sachi like doing some watering outside. And she's just kind of like watching her quietly, you know. Um, there's a really good scene that uses that, that space. Um, it's immediately after the memorial sequence uh, when everyone comes home and they're they're eating some ice cream and uh, Sachi kind of has like a, like an argument with her mother um, because the mother kind of suggests selling the home right so she she kind of lets out some feelings about like uh, like how how the father uh, how her husband left them and everything and through it all you know um, Suzu's she's absent from like the frame um, but after the argument's done you realize you know she was just out of frame but she was there listening to it the whole time so that carries a kind of like, um, kind of a bit of emotional heft to it because you know she's she's been kind of struggling, um, you know, talking about her mother or anything related to it because this is you know, yeah, she feels point, guilty. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's uh, it's it's very natural. It feels very realistic. Um, all the relationships, you know, what they're going think, through I feels feels very way, everyday life. Especially because like Corita chooses to linger on her for just you know just just like three or four seconds of her just kind of like listening. You don't hear any dialogue, but you know, she's, you can see the effect the words have on her. Yeah, absolutely. And we didn't, uh, we didn't really talk about the mother a whole lot, but um, yeah, she obviously comes back, you know, into the home. Um, You mentioned that she wanted to, you know, she mentioned selling the house, um, you know, which is something that, you know, infuriates Sachi. Uh, because she never really cared for the house, um, and you know it's it's their home. You know, uh. yeah. I mean, it's a lovely home too. I mean, it's lived in. There are moments, um, you know, like they're, they're changing like the paper on the sliding doors, and like those are. Um, I wouldn't say they're quiet moments because there's a lot of noises, but there's a lot of sister that exists in like those times. Whether yeah. it's you know fixing the fixing the paper the rice paper on the doors or, you know, measuring Susie's height against like theirs throughout the ages. 
Right. There's so much history there. Like that wasn't even her parents' house. It was her grandparents' house. They talk about how her grandfather planted the plum tree when their mother was born. How can you choose to, you know, suggest such a thing? You know, we have, we have like a, we have like a, a, like a storage area where we have wine from 10 years ago from when our grandmother was still alive. You know, it's, you know, this is history. Yeah. Yeah. It's almost like, uh, you know, it's their birthright. Yeah. How dare you, mom? Yeah. Well, it's, you know, their mother, I I think almost like Yochan, I I think Yochan's probably more like their mother than any of the other sisters. Um, whereas she has much of like a less traditional, more modern sensibility. Um, and, and, and Sachi, you know, I think in a way, um, views that as, uh, I don't know, she, she views it as that she cares less about it. Um, you know, is not, it, it cares less about them just because she isn't holding on to that traditional like value. Yeah, maybe because uh, Yoshino kind of sees her, sees herself and her mother, you know, especially with like failed relationships and stuff. Yeah, that's got a like way on her. There's a there's a pretty strong moment with the mother where she has a moment to speak to Suzu. Um, I guess while they're waiting to use the bathroom uh, at the memorial service, um, it's a very. It seems like going into it, like it would be a very tense moment, and uh, for Suzu, it is. Um, you know. After that interaction, she just kind of lets out like a huge breath and kind of like collects herself in that moment. Like that's the point when you that's a point where you see like the kind of weight that she, her her character is carrying um, throughout the film. Yeah, but I like she doesn't hold it against her. There's a civility to the way she conducts herself. She even buys Suzu a present. Um, mm-hmm. she, she brings presents for all four of the girls. Um, you know that that's the the scene right before sort of Sachi kind of reconciles with her um and they go to the grandmother's gravesite and then to the train station when she leaves uh and so it's not like i they're not a hundred percent i think at the end of that but i i think that they're on the road to a full reconciliation you know i could see you know five years after the end of this movie that they do travel and probably you know interact with the mother on a more regular basis um, so, you know, I, I, I like that. I, I think the, the whole film, you know, uses, um, these, these everyday life things and the idea that, uh, you know, like that, that the deaths in the film, um, are a way to sort of bring them back to the idea of, um, valuing the things that they can value. Um, in this case being like the beauty around them and family, and it brings an opportunity for them to reconnect. Uh, you know, their father, his death allows them to connect with Suzu. Um, you know, the, the grandmother's death um, allows them to reconnect with their mother in a way. So, you know, it's, it's you know, the, the movie is full of these little beautiful sentiments over and over and over again. So... Um, yeah, no. I, I love it. That's that's one of the reasons I watch kind of Japanese drama. You know, like films like this. There aren't there aren't many films that are like this though. But you know, I guess when you when you see something like it, it, it really kind of, uh, for me certainly, is affecting. Yeah. 
Was there anything else specifically that you want to you wanna dig into for, for this particular film? Because I, th- I don't think I have anything left on my notes, so... Well, like uh, I guess, like the the actress who plays the great aunts, uh, Kieran Kieran Kiki, I think uh, you know she doesn't have as much to do in this film, and she's kind of kind of overshadowed by like uh, like the bevy of strong female performances in this movie. But uh, I think she is she's like a, a national treasure. She's in so many great films, and oh yeah, basically any film she's in, it's worth watching. I, I like her character, even though she only shows up for like three scenes. Like, but it's you know it, it follows tradition. She's the eldest of the family, so she she sort of uh, you know when when uh, Sachi and her mother are fighting, she's the one who says, "All right, let's cut this out." Um, and then even the mother says later, after the scene, uh, that she sort of you know scolded her for for wanting to sell the house you know that she kind of stepped in and squashed that (laughs) so she she's like the family elder she's she's quite good she's a little funny yeah uh there's um yeah i mean like i said there isn't a lot for her to do in this movie um she's overshadowed but she's you know she turns in a good performance like she always does but um i think uh if you liked her, I think right now on Netflix there's a there's a movie called Sweet Bean that features her in a lead, and it is it's terrific, really good. Um, hopefully it's still on Netflix, but yeah, you know if you want to see a little bit more of her, but like she's she you know she's uh, she might be the best actress in Japan. Oh uh, wow! I just really really love her in everything. And she's in Shoplifters from Koreeda's newest film, though. She's the matriarch of that family, of shoplifters. <laughs> <laughs> she heads the family of shoplifters. Yes. Cool. All right, man. Well, I'm, I'm glad you suggested this movie. Uh, I had a good time. Um, you know, we certainly, we certainly filled up some time talking about it, so. Yeah, I, didn't, I wasn't sure if we were going to hit an hour, but I guess we probably hit an hour and a half at this point. Uh, not quite, but almost. Yeah, it's always a good. I always uh, will take any excuse to to watch this film again. I think. Cool. Well, I, I definitely enjoyed it. So thank you. Um, yeah. Is Jurassic Park our next one? Or uh, are we going to do Solo? Uh, yeah, I guess so. I am planning to watch it this week. So. Yeah, I, I think I think we should probably do Solo. Let's do Solo, and then we'll do Jurassic Park after that, and then you can pick. Okay. Mario Van Peebles, here I come. All right. Yes. <laughs> I'm dying for a good Van Peebles flick. Yep. But we should pick Melvin, not Mario. Okay. <laughs> Highlander 3? Ooh, no way. You know, I just re-watched the first Highlander just a couple of days ago. Um, and, you know, Highlander's one of those movies that where I, I've always kind of said it's a perfect movie to remake because the sword play sucks. And none of the acting in the film is particularly good, but it's a great like premise like to build a movie on. Um, I'm not so sure I agree with that with myself anymore on that. <laughs> I just it, it's kind of a neat little time capsule of like '80s, you know, like action and fantasy, and uh, you know, I, I I think maybe they've done everything they could possibly do with that in the TV series that they had with Adrian Paul. Um, so, you know, I enjoy revisiting it every now and again. You know, I usually watch it maybe once a year or something like that. 
Yeah, I always yeah. thought that was the dumb sentiment that you held about that movie. I, well, I, I mean, I, I, I could change my mind forever. tomorrow, but <laughs> but I think this most recent rewatch, yeah, I was yeah, like... On, yeah, now it's on tape. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this most recent rewatch, though, I was like... I was like, yeah, I'm not sure I want to see a remake of this. Like, I'm not sure. What, what are you going to do with it that hasn't been done through a, a bunch of terrible sequels and and a, a pretty good TV show for the first couple of seasons? Um, you know, like, they, I think they're still planning on doing, like, a, a trilogy of Highlander rebooted films. Uh, and I can't remember who was attached to develop that. I think it was one of the guys from John Wick, though. No. Um, yeah, you can see that. Uh, but, uh... I don't know. Like, I think at this point, though, they're just like retreading the same ground over and over again. I'm not sure. I'm not sure what else you can do with that. Yeah. But anyway, we're getting off on a tangent that we don't need to get off on here. Um, so, um, where can people find you on the internet, sir? You can find me at filmsmash.com, uh, where I actually I also do have a written review for our little sister. So maybe check that out. Uh, I um, I will link to that in the show notes. Sure. Yeah. Or uh, on Twitter at Junior Behold. Awesome. And you can find me at Setting the Frame. And uh, thank you all for joining us. Cesar, thank you for joining me. Always a pleasure, man. And uh, we will catch up with you next week to talk about uh, Solo. Celluloid Jelly was recorded using Google Hangouts, mixed using Apple's GarageBand software, and hosted by Podbean. For any inquiries related to celluloid jelly, please email settingtheframe at gmail.com.